Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, Frank and Susie hanging out with you here from the East Valley Institute of Technology. And I just had to say this. I had to say this. Thank you, all of our KFNX listeners, all of our 90.7 listeners, and, of course, the big daddy campus of East Valley Institute of Technology. Thank you. You know how we do. This is your favorite car talk show. At least that's what we've heard. We've heard you uh, enjoy our medley of goodness, taking you on a journey. A little car talk. Inviting you to take a journey with some of the guests that we've had from across the globe. These type of guests are motorsports guests. Automotive industry guests. And some legends. Uh, Super excited always to hang out with you in honor. Uh, We are grateful. Uh, Susie and I, you guys get on the WrenchNation.tv where you can catch. We had uh, 1938 Phantom Corsair. uh, That was from the National Auto Museum. What a beautiful ride. One of one that's on loan now to Las Vegas. Very first... uh, concourse uh delegance as well as if you missed it we had uh well how does someone like john bishop build one of the world's greatest imsa international motorsports association uh we had that show and of course uh just chock full of goodness you can get on a wrench nation dot tv now i'm not saying we're going to sell you anything but put your email on there and join our tribe Hashtag mechanical tribe. Susie, what is shaking in the world? Hey there, Frank. What's shaking with you, buddy? Well, I got a little cold. You I'm, do. So if I cough like a maniac, I do apologize. I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> hard it's, to breathe, huh? It is a little hard to mm-hmm. breathe, but that's okay. It's the time of year, and some of you some of you are running. I've heard, I've heard from you guys. Uh, uh, at the garage, you've got a few people that are under the weather, maybe. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, I got to bring this out. This is some news before we get to the show topic. Uh, show topic, uh, well, we'll just talk about it. We're excited to have, well, your average writer, somebody that writes for a digital online publication, is pretty serious. That's serious business. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Reporting on the serious of the automotive industry. Well, on this edition, we, of course, we're not going to get serious with the automotive industry, <laughs> although I do have this report uh, that's pretty shocking about a ruling out of Michigan that has all to do with tire rotations will blow your mind. But we are uh, going to dive into those odd and eclectic vehicles you've never heard of. And to help navigate is uh, Jason Torchinsky. Uh, he's a writer and artist and mostly indulges his disturbingly deep obsession with cars, especially as his role the senior editor of a uh, popular automotive website, Jalopnik. You've seen a ton of stuff from Jalopnik. So we are going to dive into the odd and eclectic. And uh, he's also a comic, so we're going to figure that one out. But I do want to share a story, Susie. This is, uh, well, I'd like to sound all popular news outlet-like breaking news. <laughs> but literally could be breaking as uh, in regards to a tire rotation. Now, some of you would think you come into our garage, Susie, we do a tire rotation. Folks expect those lug nuts to be tight. You would think. 
You better. That's right. <laughs> At least if you're on my watch, we may have a discussion <laughs> or two. But you expect that your tire wouldn't roll out like a donut from underneath under that undercarriage. The tired lug nuts should be tight. I think you'll all agree. But apparently, a Michigan court has reported by Jalopnik, Aaron Gordon, this Michigan court had to think about this for a little bit because they had said, wait a minute, according to the law, well, there is none. There is no law? Well, the specifics of that, uh, the Michigan Appeals Court uh, determined that a tire rotation does not, in fact, include tightening the lug nuts. How does that happen? Well, if I was the lawyer, <laughs> but that's why I'm not a lawyer, uh, that's pretty ridiculous. So uh, many of you are w- would just say, well, fire that lawyer, go back, go something, some name right. But uh, it is a ruling that not only defies common sense, according to uh, Jalopnik's uh, article here, that uh, Michigan car owners may find out much harder uh, to really sue mechanics. Well, hey, I'll be honest with you. If I, if my garage, Susie, if we leave so lug nuts, yeah. So you're telling I'm me, saying, yeah. if we were operating in Michigan and we did a tire rotation, we didn't, we don't have to tighten those lugs. Well, we better. I mean, I'm saying. Well, like, we will we, as a but practice. The law, and here it is: the ruling really came down to an entire section titled. <laughs> it's always how we interpret the law, people. How do we interpret the law? Interpretation of the word perform, which is in the law, doesn't really include. Wow. So the perform tire rotation does not include tightening lug nuts. That's ludicrous. It's bananas. That is crazy. Now, Michigan has, uh, I know know several uh, folks uh, that work with the Automotive Service Association and a few other associations nationally to keep uh, keep us garage owners straight and help the consumer. This is impossible. So where's my gavel? I would rule this ridiculousness. But the judges did rule that a tire rotation does not include tightening the lug nuts. It only involves removing the tires and replace them on different axles or sides of the vehicle. I'm actually curious what really happened to even bring that up. Well, the tire flew off this gal's car. Is okay, what well, there you go. Yeah, this, uh, if we go back, uh, Samuel and Nea and Doris uh, took their car home from a dealership and they had a tire rotation about two blocks away. The left front wheel came off, causing the car to skid into a curb. Oh, my God. Turns out mechanic did not tighten the lug nuts. Now, the mechanic said, you know what? I, I did. performed no, the tire no. rotation. No, he actually said that he forgot. But the law says perform does not include that phrase perform. So we have to be careful when we write our laws. Yeah. So there's your story. You can catch it. Uh, Big shout outs to uh, Aaron Gordon of Jalopnik. You can catch that full article. I just thought, hey, this is 12 hours off the press. This is breaking news. That's interesting. And uh, Susie, what's shaking in your world? Well, I'll tell you what. So, you know, I own an expedition and you used to have an expedition, right? That's one of the best platforms, I will tell you. Yeah, I love the expedition. 200,000 mile plus easy. And you know, as as a bonus, you have cup holders in there, right? I, that's one thing I liked about the expedition. Yeah. Like you could hide, you could hide 
your neighbor's laundry somewhere in that thing, and nobody <laughs> will know anything about it. Uh, you could take a six-pack of Coke, and there's cup holders for that. That's it just right. has a lot of room. It does have a lot of room. But check this out. So now I know when you get a coffee, you get a water with it. So you've got two beverages, right, at one time? I'm a dual beverage you're kind a dual, of guy. You're a dual-fisted. That's right. So Ford has teamed up with Dr. Pepper. What? And the Ford Expedition now has 15 cup holders. Damn, wow. So even at a full capacity... Now, wait a minute. Dr. Pepper, why <laughs> Dr. is Pepper. Dr. Pepper involved? What is, what's wrong with this doctor? Well, there's nothing wrong with the doctor, but the Dr. Pepper actually on the 15-pack of the plastic bottles actually has a slogan, we didn't include 15 cup holders just for you to buy a 12-pack. Man, there's some, this is collusion. Dude, I'm telling you. It's crazy, isn't there? So I'm just trying to figure out what happened to Sprite and the rest of the other people. How come Dr. Pepper got this deal with the 15 passenger? Well, apparently, uh, Oklahoma versus Texas, college football, last week, they, they actually handed out 15 packs as part of a promotion. But Ford actually is making 15 cup holder expeditions. So even at full capacity, seven passengers, you got two cup holders Per passenger, really? Man, that would ruin my kids, man. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I'm already trying to keep my kids from drinking all this sugary stuff. Dad, there's no excuse. We got 15 cup That's holders. That's right. <laughs> I want apple juice. I want lemon juice. I want Dr. Pepper. I want all of it because I got 15. That's how kids are. Kids, look, if kids see it, they want to fill it. That's right. I mean, you can't, you just can't. So thank you, Ford Expedition and Dr. Pepper, you secret magic peppery drink <laughs> but anyway all right listen we're gonna take a dive into some of the odd and eclectic uh vehicles we really are we're gonna you know lately we've been talking autonomous we've been talking sexy muscle cars i figured you know what let's dive into some of those vehicles you've never heard of and why not do that with the talented senior editor of jalopnik you know him jason torchinsky uh cutting edge news and opinion website about cars and technology uh, Jason's also written for Boing Boing, Make, and Mother Jones, and is a producer of Jay Leno's Garage. I want you to stay tuned, because we are going to travel the odd, weird, eclectic Jason Chichwinski of July. Stay tuned, Ranch Nation. I came from the mud, dirt on my hands. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients, and they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores, amazing service, knowledgeable counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you're an installer, get on to partsauthority.com, check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Welcome back. Frank and Susie hanging out with you. WrenchNation.tv. Head on over there. Drop us your email. Join our weekly tribe and uh, catch some of the shows. You may miss uh, some of the shows, uh, live show, if you will, or some of our replays throughout the week. And, of course, we have the podcast, you podcast mechanical maniacs. We appreciate you guys. Uh, speaking about maniac, we like the maniacal-looking vehicles that we see once in a while because they're different. They're odd. They're weird. And we like weird. Susie, you like we weird? We love weird. I think, I think weird is good for society. And we are going to bring in uh, the senior editor of Jalopnik, uh, which is a cutting-edge news and opinion website about cars and technology. Jason Torchinsky, welcome to the show, brother. 
Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Now, weird myself. Yes, we <laughs> like weird. We're just all kinds of weird. In fact, our kids now are doing slime. Is your kid doing slime? That sounds like a drug. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's slime. It's, it's slime. It's slime. I think it's the verb doing slime that makes it sound like it. You know what? Like you're right. Movie. It's that action, that action word behind yeah. it. Speaking of action, uh, you have done an amazing job over the years. Many of you listening know you've seen the great articles. You've seen uh, the videos. Jalopnik, in fact, the tagline is drive free or die okay this isn't a conservative <laughs> uh digital online publication but uh, a lot of great news and a lot of coverage jason you have a very unique way of covering the automotive world how did you get your start and i understand you're a comic too with the start well, oh, i was yeah i um, <laughs> and i like to think i still get to use some of that but i um yeah i kind of came to it through a pretty roundabout route uh I've done a lot of things. I was a graphic designer for a long time. I um, had a webcasting company for a while. And, uh, yeah, and I was a comic also for a long time. I actually moved to L.A. in the late 90s um, as part of a sketch comedy group, and I did stand-up. I even opened for George Carlin back in the day. Nice. Um, so neat. Yeah, so it was um, – I, I did that for a long time, and I loved it. Like, comedy was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's – but it's the kind of thing where you have to, you have to get like a hundred percent commit to being a comic to uh, make it really work. And the problem is there was just too many other things I was kind of trying to do at the same time. So I eventually decided that wasn't going to be my full time career. But I still love doing it, and you know that's why I like doing all the video stuff because it's a way to kind of get a little bit of that back into into what I do now. It definitely has come full circle with uh, with those reviews. Uh, car reviews and what have you, automotive industry reviews that you're doing and writing about. Uh, but we can't forget probably one of the most pinnacle points of your life, your young career. You actually built the giant Atari joystick. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I um, I do some art stuff as well, like installation art and sculptural things. And I've tended to do a lot with uh, video games because uh, people like it. So I like making interactive things. So I took... Um, uh, and I love old computers and old 80s and 70s technology, so I was looking at the standard Atari joystick, and those things are dirt simple inside. It's just five switches in there, right. and there's really nothing to them. So I just built a 15 times scale Atari joystick. I just measured <laughs> every bit I could find on the joystick, I love and then that. I used, um, it was like MDF and a bunch of stuff, and I just built a giant joystick. And if you see the pictures of it online, uh, you can see it looks... I'm looking at it now. Yeah, and you can plug it into any regular Atari. Wow. And we did a, my friend has a gallery in L.A. called I Am 8-Bit, and we did a bunch of shows there, and we had like um, a, it was like a huge warehouse building. We were projecting the Atari screen on it, and then we had the giant joystick there, and people could climb on it and play the games and see them projected all huge. That is crazy. Well, I think um, a lot of that, as we said, uh, sort of your, your comic spirit, uh, your lightheartedness, which, by the way, is well needed. Uh, you and a few other uh, journalists, let's just say, uh, in the last five to ten years, well needed. Because it seemed like us automotive journals were kind of stuffy. Would you agree? Were we a stuffy bunch, this automotive industry? You know, there were always... There are always iconoclasts in the auto journalism business. I mean, there were certainly stuffy magazines and publications, and, you know, and there's certainly plenty of areas of, 
like enthusiast groups that are have trouble laughing at themselves. A lot of the more higher end or hardcore enthusiast groups or anybody affiliated with any like concourse level car showing. I mean, you have to be so yeah. fastidious and focused. You know, it does suck some of the fun out of it. Yeah. But there were always people, always writers um, who had a different attitude. I remember uh, reading like Jamie Kitman when I was younger uh, in like Automobile Magazine, and there was like a bunch of other people who they had a better tone about it and those guys were always out there and they set kind of the stage and i think now we're in we're kind of in a golden age of automotive i think so yeah i think i i know it gets um i know it kind of gets lamented and you know people think it's all clickbait and stuff but that's really not true there's so much good journalism happening out there and so much more of it than ever before because you're not waiting a month to see what's new and what's happening there's stuff being created every single day, which is what makes it all exciting. Yeah, well, speaking of good journalism, you covered the Ubian Puma <laughs> from the L.A. <laughs> yeah. Auto Show, uh, oh, and I, I invite you, of course, please no texting and driving, but if you're near your phone and you're parked somewhere, get on there and check out the Ubian Puma. What'd be, yeah, what? make sure, <laughs> make sure if, if you're going to look at it, make sure you know, you're you know, somewhere safe and sitting down and you haven't eaten in the past 12 hours, because it's it's Possibly the ugliest car out there, is that correct? Oh, God. It's, <laughs> it's terrifying. So, yeah, and I guess the, the part about this story that makes it fascinating is what happened after we wrote about the car, too. So, yeah, so the Yubian Puma was, okay, a, uh, I think the guy was a plastic surgeon out of L.A. who decided he wanted to design his own car. And he, I don't, I guess he contracted his shop, but he made this thing. It's this, it's massive and blue and bulbous. It looks like... Like a like a, if a whale could get leprosy and then somehow get coated in like a gel, it was it's a nightmarish. Look. All right, I'm looking at it right now. It's a one. I, yeah. I could be seen in it. I would I would do that. And I don't think Ubian, it's that bad. The, are we looking at the same car? Yeah. No, this is the Ubian Puma. No, man, this thing is you. You would drive that. This blue Ubian. Yeah. Well, Susie, I don't know, Jason. Susan is. I like unique. All right. That's good. Well, good for I you. You're one out of a million. Yeah, and this, this car actually has like a whole Volvo convertible inside the like the top and then passenger compartment is actually an entire Volvo convertible. It's in person. It's huge. It's a colossal thing. Anyway, it looks I huge. I wrote an article about it, kind of making fun of it because I it, I thought it was fairly hideous. Um, and what was amazing is we got letters from this guy's attorney. Uh, threatening to sue us because we called his car uh, ugly, which is... <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't. Know if you're, you know, how well-versed you are in the First Amendment, but there's nothing illegal about calling a car ugly. That's oh right. My. Yes, you can write about it, you can video, you can YouTube, you can Twitter, you can TikTok, you can do it all. It's your First <laughs> Amendment. Everything, yeah. Well, it's, to, to it's, give perspective for those listening, uh, 20 feet in length, Seven point seven five feet in width. Yeah, it turned two lane streets into single width passageways, according to the article. Yeah, that's a big beast right there. Yeah, it's it's bulbous and huge. Bulbous. No yeah, that's a good word. It's uh, it's well and more sort of. It's uh, it's just a awful, like ridiculous, overdone vehicle, and it's absurd. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, yeah, and, uh, so yeah, one point one million uh, to to build is that that's what it's showing. One point one million. 
Yeah, if you want one, he'll probably sell you one for one point. I think he well, just photoshopped the different colors on the website. But it's um, well, it's a ridiculous view. More power to the people that want to be unique, and certainly sure. to the people that want to write about it. And certainly, uh, hey, if it's ugly, it's ugly. It is what it is. Yeah, That's but I'm glad it exists. I would never ever suggest that it shouldn't have been built because I'm all for. If you have a crazy dream and you have the means, by all means, make it happen. Do it. So the world's maybe not a better place, but a more interesting place <laughs> because this thing exists. We need to keep it interesting, especially in these times. Uh, your yeah. personal touch during a vehicle review, really, Jason, is like no other. I mean, you really bring a unique perspective uh, with sort of a lightheartedness. You do cover a lot of the straightforward approach to, to the vehicle. How did you ever... Get your direction. We have a lot of youngsters listening now that I'm not saying they're all anxious to do new car reviews or use car reviews on YouTube, but how did you get started? And, and it almost seems like you're having therapy when you're doing these reviews. <laughs> yeah, well, you kind of are. I mean, yeah. I did a lot of other things before I ended up doing this. I don't even think I fully realized automotive journalism was a profession one could have. Um, it started because I was, you know, I was. I went out to L.A., I was doing a lot of comedy, and I had uh, jobs doing, like, interface design and graphic design, which I like. Um, I started a webcasting company at one point in the first dot-com boom, and it was rough, and, you know, we ended up losing a lot of money, and um, this all, it mostly started, so I'd always been interested in cars. And there was a point where, like, I had to leave the webcasting company I started because uh, my wife and I, we got pregnant, and... Um, you know, I realized I needed, like, actual insurance, so <laughs> I took a job teaching uh, design at a high school in L.A., and I just didn't like it that much, and I really wanted to do something else, so I started to do more, you know, because you had your summers free, I started doing more projects on the side. I did more art installations, and then um, a few years before then, I had raced a... Uh, in the 24 Hours of Lemons. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. In fact, uh, one of my alumni graduates of uh, Northwood University, uh, first time I ever heard of it was there. We did the little leadership class up there. And he said, I'm, I'm going to be racing in the 24 Hours of Lemons. I said, what do you mean, Le Mans? He said, no, Lemons. <laughs> and then he showed me the picture of the car. I guess the criteria. Well, help me out. What is the criteria? Less than $2,000? Well, $500. How much? The car itself has to only cost $500 or less, and you spend more money for things like safety equipment and roll cage tires, sure. that kind of thing. But the car itself has to be a $500 hunk of crap. And, <laughs> and you race them in an endurance race, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, so I did that in 2008, um, and I did it. I got Make Magazine to sponsor me, and I wrote a big article for that. And through there, I was kind of introduced to the world of auto journalists. And then... I also, uh, I'd always ha liked interesting cars, and I had a Reliant Scimitar, which is like an obscure British car, and um, one of the writers for Jalopnik back then came out to drive the car and check it out, and so I kind of got, I first realized there is this whole world of people who are writing about cars for a living, and that's how they make their money, and it seemed like an amazing thing, so... Um, when I was uh, teaching and realizing I wasn't that crazy, I started to think more about that, and I was able to get like a little side gig writing about writing for uh, Auto Week, uh, like a monthly column, nice or weekly column. All right, so, so that's that. when it got serious. That's when you you said, "Hey, wait, you know, there, I could do this professionally. I could get paid for right, this." Right. That's yeah. what I realized. Yeah. So I took like I didn't quit my main job. I just did that. But then within about a month, Jalopnik reached out to me. 
and they uh, and it was about to be a uh, winter break at school, and they said, "Why don't you write for us for a while, like a test basis, and then we'll see how it goes." So I figured, well, I'm off school for winter break. I'll write about it. I'll write for Jalopnik full time and see what it's like. And I did that. And then by January, they offered me a full-time gig, and I haven't looked back since. Yeah, no doubt. And I invite you listening. I uh, don't want to just assume that you've heard uh, jalopnik.com. Highly invite. If you guys are on Twitter, you can follow uh, them there, Instagram, all over uh, social media, and, of course, directly on the site. And ultimately, uh, Jason, you now have what is Jason Drives, uh, which is the video side of things. And that's that's where I really... Have fun. I mean, it, you, you're really oh, yeah. putting out some good stuff there. I mean, I, can I get, I've got to tell the folks here, uh, your latest, uh, well, one of the latest, back in September, this yeah. two-headed Citroen 2CV fire vehicle is a weird, <laughs> symmetrical hero. And this thing, it's, it's, it's like amazing. A, it is amazing. In fact, why don't we talk about that? How are you finding these vehicles? Do folks reach out to you or are you just doing your research? Well, a little bit of both. It starts off, you do research. Um and, you know, the whole point of Jason Drive is just to find interesting stuff and drive it and talk about it. And what's great about it is I can go to auto museums now and ask them, and they'll often let me drive their cars, which is like a dream come true. And one of these museums that I do a lot of work with is the Lane Motor Museum over in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, LeMay, yeah. And they have an amazing collection of stuff, and they've worked with me for a long time, and they'll let me drive almost anything they have if they're able, and they keep their stuff in running condition. So um, the Citroen mini-series we did, because this is the 100th anniversary of Citroen, right. um, we did that in conjunction with the Lane, because they have a great collection, and that double-headed 2CV uh, was part of that. And what I love about that car is it, it seems like a stunt. It seems like just a weird stunt, but the truth is it's, it's incredibly rational. Like, it was designed to do a very specific job, and that was basically get Fire Chief up and down these little fire roads through the mountains without having to turn around, because once the fireman, the fire chief was on this mountain road and there was a fire and it was hard to turn around and he had to get back in a hurry, and they couldn't actually turn around the road on the road, so he had to back down this mountain road over the course of a few miles and it was at <laughs> so night. they just put two front clips for folks uh, that are listening so we can paint the scene i mean you've got what looks like it looks I mean, like it's two just, front ends it's it is two front yeah. ends it has a string in fact uh was that your son in the video yeah I well, that I is so cool yeah. yeah he he was uh yeah he was it was like we did it over we shot these over the summer <laughs> they had a little uh horn <laughs> war you, you actually have two steering wheels i'm just trying to paint the picture for our listeners uh and again you can get on at jalopnik.com jason drives you, you've got to check out this video jason hang tight we're going to go right to break we're going to talk more about well gosh man you've progressed and and why not if you're a comic covering vehicles why not hook up with Jay Leno? We're going to talk about how you uh, got involved with Jay. We're also going to cover some of these other oddmobiles that you've covered. Stay tuned. Wrench Nation next. Bolt-On Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-On Technology software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Uh, Susie and Frank hanging out with you guys. Remind you to get on the wrenchnation.tv. Uh, check out uh, the website there. You can catch shows, of course, on any podcast player. Uh, we can 
you know, basically over 174 shows is what we got out there for just about uh, everything from uh, Vedita Singh out of uh, India, automotive artist. We've had Echo Wang uh, from Beijing, China, covering uh, some of the electric vehicles. And today, man, we're diving into the odd and eclectic, and we've got Jason Torchinsky, senior editor of Jalopnik. Welcome back, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, definitely. And I got to remind folks, um, before I forget, man, you just came out with a pretty cool book, um, Robot, Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and the Lost Art of Driving. And and, and hopefully that is not a phrase that's a part of our vernacular uh, in the near near future. But tell us about the book. What was the inspiration? Well, um, the honest truth is the inspiration was I wanted to write a book about cars made prior to 1880, and the publisher said nobody's going to buy that, but we really <laughs> love a book on autonomous cars. Okay, there you go. But it's something I've been writing about for a while. Um, I've actually been very interested in robotics and autonomous cars for a while. Um, so, And I think there wasn't, there wasn't really a good book out there that addressed it from like a real car lover's perspective. But someone who doesn't, who's not necessarily afraid of what's going to come, but just someone who acknowledges that we don't really know. But there's all kinds of interesting questions that it brings up, and it's worth exploring the questions. Like there's plenty of technical books out there yes. or, you know, flat-out predictive books, and this is a little bit different. I go into the, the history um, of autonomous vehicles, which goes back far further than you would think. I mean, honestly, a horse and cart is a semi-autonomous vehicle, if we're That's completely true. honest. Yes. We weren't really driving it. The That's horse right. knew how to do lane keeping. It knew how to stop for things. Like, the period where we're doing all of the driving ourselves is actually a smaller period than we realize. Most of human history, we've had semi-autonomous vehicles. Um, even trains. Trains are semi-autonomous as well, because we've relegated the steering function to the rail network. So, you know, we've been doing these things longer than we think, and um, the technology is interesting, so that's worth covering, but the, the cultural aspects are interesting, and the ethics are interesting, and there's just so many weird things we have to think about that we haven't thought about before. And yeah. there's the nature of what it means to travel. Uh, right now, you get in the car, and it's still like an analog journey. You're engaged the entire way because you're driving. You're taking in everything around you. When you go on an airplane, it's more like point to point. You go in an airport at one place, you get off at an airport in another place. When autonomous cars are common, it's going to be that way for almost every journey, point to point. And I think there's something lost there. The idea of a journey itself is worth doing and worth having. So... I think we're just going to have to think about a lot of things. What yeah, we are. I mean, one of those things, you mentioned sort of the, the culture and the sort of the, the just our human behavior as we're walking across the intersection. As a pedestrian, yeah. we have this visual eye check. We, we look at those cars and the people in those cars, and we're checking each other. It's like, okay, are you braked? All right, right. I'm walking. <laughs> are you braked? And like with no one behind the wheel, that may be difficult. And from what I understand, Absolutely. they're going to put big smiley faces or something fascia on the on the front bumpers or something to keep it to where it's a, it's a friendly looking it's, it's going to be tricky because if you think about it like if you've driven in a big city like New York where right. there's a lot of pedestrian traffic when you're at an intersection the way you tend to get through it because people are going to cross the intersection no matter what yeah. so you do this thing where you kind of push out into the scrum of people walking around. You know you're not trying to murder anybody, and the people around you know you're not trying to murder anybody, but you are still driving slowly into a crowd of people. 
and we, we, this works because there's all this unspoken communication between the driver and the people outside that comes from centuries and human experience and we understand how things work and human culture, but you're still fundamentally driving into a crowd of people and then there's a point where people give way and you get to go through or you decide you're going to wait or whatever. There's a certain oh, like checks over. and balances. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just kind of a... I don't know if a robot can manage all those decisions. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. How do you program a computer and a robot to drive into a crowd of people like you're going to hit them, but don't really, <laughs> <laughs> really hit them? <laughs> yeah. Well, There's so many subtle things that we have to figure out that I think are, yeah. you know, like I feel like full autonomy, what they call level five autonomy, level five, you can yeah. do it anywhere, is a long, long ways off. I yeah, think we are. We're going to settle for like level four, which is like a geofenced version, where like it does everything but only in certain areas where you have more control over the chaos of the world. Right. Um, full autonomy in the real chaos of the world, I think, is uh, going to be a ways off. Well, we had, nice, uh, we had the yeah. former New York City uh, traffic commissioner, uh, Gridlock Sam, actually Sam Schwartz, uh, his book, uh, No One at the Wheel. He said by mid-century, driving could be illegal. What's your thought on that? <laughs> Could that be possible? I, maybe. I don't think I don't it's going to go that way. Yeah, I don't think I so. Think That's a, yeah. Maybe it will get legislated out of certain places. I think that's possible. City centers, um, certain roads and things like that. There may be places where human driving is not worth it, where it's not encouraged or doing it so expensive that it's just not going to happen much. I think that's likely. But as far as being flat-out illegal, I don't think that's going to happen because... You know, when did he think it was going to happen? Mid-century? Well, mid-century is what, you know, what uh, the book, uh, what he claims. Uh, I think that's way too soon. There's, I think so, think too. Yeah. yeah. The installed base of cars in the world is huge. I think it's going to be a mix for pretty much ever. I don't think we're ever going to be entirely without human-driven vehicles, because I think there's always going to be a need for them in some ways. And yeah. look, I'm not anti-autonomous vehicles. I think there's all kinds of reasons why they make a lot of sense. Well, we're a long way. Yeah. We're a long way. Yeah. Yeah. We are. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, M-City out of uh, Michigan, they're doing some amazing work uh, with the autonomous. They've got a mini city, uh, University of Michigan, and they're doing a ton of autonomous uh, vehicle work. And one of the things they mentioned, sort of a practical uh, sort of mishap that they, they found, that these autonomous vehicles, folks were putting duct tape on the sensors, the yeah. front sensors, and yeah. saying, oh, wait a minute, yeah. we got a problem as simple as duct tape, nothing highfalutin technology-wise. And so, no. yeah, I mean, we've, we, we're, we're a long way. But remember, Michigan is the one that you don't have to tighten the lug nuts either. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reminder of just how vulnerable these things actually are. At like this point, mud, yeah. For example, like if, if you have a LiDAR sensor or a camera system in your grill, all these things are going to need the means to clean themselves because a splash of mud can render your car effectively blind. Yep, that's um, right. Yeah. And the things that we deal with as human drivers, you get... You know, you can get mud splash in your windshield or a torrential rain where it's hard to see, and our ability to drive drops significantly. And we drive more carefully or we slow down or sometimes we wreck because we can't see. Uh, the exact same thing is going to happen to cars. They're not magic, you know, and in some ways they're a lot more vulnerable because humans are really good at adapting to bad conditions and just kind of figuring their way out of uh, uh, situations where without ideal circumstances. We're right. good at that. We've been... We've been doing it for, you know, we've been basically evolving to be good at that for millions of years. Right. So it's, 
<laughs> we're a ways away. Yeah. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of mistakes made, and we definitely got to yeah. get things dialed in. I do remind folks listening, uh, get on Amazon, check out Robot Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and the Lost Art of Driving. Uh, Jason Turchinsky is the writer of Jalopnik. Yeah, Jason, so slowly but surely, little by little, you somehow ended up with Mr. Jay Leno as a producer of this show. Why yeah. not? That is a perfect. Perfect fit for you, I would think. Oh, it's great. Jay is Jay's really amazing because he's one of those he's one of those car people who it's completely earnest and he it's not put on. He's not doing this for status. He doesn't buy cars because of how much they cost. He's genuinely interested in all kinds of different cars. And his collection reflects that. He's not all about supercars or or fancy things. He'll get you know, the most humble of cars can be interesting to him if it's just, if it's an interesting car. Um, I, and you know when you write in auto journalism, you you encounter Leno a lot because he's just involved in this space. Um, but I actually first really got uh, involved with him uh, last year when the show wanted to do. I think they saw my video on the Hoffman, which was one of the Jason Drives videos, which is arguably the worst car ever built. <laughs> so they were going to do some stuff at the Lane Museum, also, which is where the Hoffman is. And so they called me out to basically. Uh, drive with Jay in the Hoffman and talk him through it and go through some other stuff at the museum. And we just kind of hit it off. And uh, I got a call uh, like a number of months later that they were looking for more producers for the show. They wanted to know if I'd, you know, help out. And so I've been doing that on the side, um, you know, ever since. And it's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, that's hand in hand. uh, And as you said, uh, certainly. And and I think as as viewers, uh, we see that. Jay, Jay is not doing that, but for anything he loves of what he does he's really passionate and uh i think there's a sense of sharing that uh i gotta i gotta dive in because you've covered so many vehicles out there as far as sort of the the extremely weird and the obscure but how about the extremely priced cheap uh most would think that the model t really didn't have much competition but there was such a vehicle called the trojan uh, in fact, they had an advertisement that stated uh, over a period of 200 miles, driving a Trojan was cheaper than what you'd pay in shoe leather and socks. So <laughs> yeah. that's what was quoted. Um, tell us about the Trojan, because most people would, you know, we know about the Model T and and uh, this. Uh, tell us it's about the Trojan manufacturer. The Trojan's a weird car, too. It was, it's a British car. It was designed for British farmers, primarily. And it was specifically designed to use as few moving parts as possible. It was as crude as it could be. The engine is incredibly strange. It's a four-cylinder, but they're not in a line or opposed or in a V. They're in a two-by-two two square. Oh, gosh. Like a rotary is, gone bad or something, maybe. Kind of. You know, there's no piston engine, <laughs> but it's a two-by-two no, yeah. two square. And I don't... And the way they've got it set up, the connecting rods are designed to flex. It's the weirdest engine you've ever seen, but it also uses very few moving parts and could just keep going. It was lousy performance. It wasn't like a good car in the traditional sense, but it would be cheap as hell, and it kept running. And, you know, speaking of cheap cars, one of the most fascinating things I've driven in the past couple of years was a, a Tata Nano. You know about those, the Indian car? I ha- Yes, yes. Let's, uh, let's make reference new- here. It was the cheapest new car you could buy in the world, and it sold new for about $2,500 American. Um, Jeff Lane at the Lane Museum actually was able to get one, and I, he let me have it for like a whole weekend, and I drove it like on the highway. It's only got like 35 horsepower, but it can still keep up. 
and it's a fascinating engineering achievement. Like the fact that they could build a car that sells new for around for under three thousand dollars, like today, or I guess they just put them out of production, but like in the past year or so, is a staggering thing. It's just not nearly as terrible as you think it would be. It's a real car, and. It's more of an engineering triumph, I think, than like a Bugatti Chiron. Like a Bugatti Chiron is an engineering stunt. If you throw that much money at a car, of course it'll be amazing. But when you have to limit it to $2,500 and you still get a working car, that is an absolute triumph. It is, because you are limited. And then, of course, was, uh, for you listening, Indian automaker Tata Motors uh, yeah. that came up with that car. And that was uh, 2008 to 18, so it had a 10-year run. Yeah, I had a tenure run. And yeah. you know, the reason it didn't sell better was because it became so famous for being the cheapest car in the world that people, no matter how poor they were, still didn't want to be seen in the cheapest car in the world. <laughs> wow. We've done that to ourselves as was a society. Was it a diesel then? It's no. I'm looking at one. It says Tata Nano Diesel. Well, they had a diesel option probably. but Yeah, they had a diesel option. But this is gas. Gas version. Yeah. yeah and wow. Um, yeah. It's an amazing vehicle. Good design, actually. It's the engines under the floor in the back. It's kind of like a, a scaled-down VW bus in a way. So that entire area of the body you see, you can use for people or whatever. It's it's just a good design, fundamentally. Yeah, I don't think Tata Motors gets enough credit anyway. In general, I mean, I I think, no. uh, but there again, we are here in the states, and we don't realize the whole world of uh, Asian manufacturing in oh, yeah. India as well. One India. Of the, I love yeah. Indian cars. Mahindra is another... I got, Mahindra actually... Uh, flew, I wrote about Mahindra's uh, a while back, and the head of Mahindra, because they got so little press in America, noticed the article, Anand Mahindra, and he actually had me come out to India, and I spent a week there driving cars and going in desert rallies and seeing factories, and it was amazing. That is awesome. Um, and yeah. they... And the thing is, those cars work so hard. Like, they're tiny, and they have, like, tiny engines, but... They get worked harder than almost anything else. Like, for example, they make a one-cylinder pickup truck that, in at least one of its configurations, has a higher payload rating than an F-150. What? One-cylinder? Wow. Oh, my gosh. And I wrote about this on Jalopnik a while back. And what was amazing <laughs> was to see all of the incredibly angry uh, Ford truck guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's my 5.4 liter. That's what right. are you talking about? Yeah, no doubt. But no, the numbers don't lie. It, in, in at yeah. least one configuration, it could hold more in its payload than F-150. I mean, it would be slow and dangerous as hell, but who cares? It could still do it. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, you, you drive a lot of vehicles. Is there a particular... Uh, road course out there that uh, challenged you and uh, you know you put your racing hat on and had some difficulty or did you oh, absolutely I'm um, you know like most motor journalists I do get some track time which I absolutely love I don't pretend to be a particularly good track driver I'm not particularly fast but whenever I go to a track my goal is to not be last and to not wreck the car but I push it as hard as I can when I try, and I, um, I remember t I had a, um, the last generation of uh, Musk, the Cobras, the Mustangs with the solid rear axle, uh, a few years back. I had one of those at Road, uh, I think it was Road Atlanta, which is a very tricky track, and that thing was terrifying to drive on that track. Same goes for, I had a Viper over at uh, Willow Springs in, uh, in California which was also a very terrifying car to drive. There were, you know, crazy cars already, and it was you know, not easy. Um, 
These are, and I've done like some off-road courses as well, which I did the Baja 1000 race. Nice. Um, which was brutal, but an amazing experience. I rode with Mark Stahl, who'd like done that thing alone and won it on a few occasions, so that was a real amazing thing. Um, I got to drive in the Millimiglia in Italy in like an old vintage Jag and in like a new F-Type, and that was also an amazing experience as well. Um, I even stopped while I was there and shot a quick Jason drives with a Piaggio Ape, these little three-wheeled trucks I saw at this farm. It was amazing. Nice. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm always uncertain when I'm on a track, and I'm always trying my hardest, but it's always tricky. And I have so much respect for drivers who are actually really, really good because it's not like driving on the road normally, and it's amazing to do, but it just takes an innate... Some people just have a real gift for it. They do. And, uh, I mean, this is yeah, why we, we put them on a pedestal uh, as car enthusiasts and fans of yeah. race community. This is why we we do uh, love to see our races on the way, especially European Grand mm-hmm. Prix. They're, they can be extremely dangerous, uh, not mm-hmm. to take that away from any other uh, form of racing. So you've traveled. You've been all over the place. Would you tell us where you think the most odd vehicles are coming from. I mean, we talked a little bit about India, but we don't want to knock India. Is it, can I guess, is it maybe Eastern Europe or no? Well, I mean, Eastern Europe certainly has a long history of weird cars. And I do love, <laughs> I have a weird fondness for Eastern European cars. I've driven a Trabant, which is an amazing, Trabant's one of those cars that's like a joke car and people like to make fun of it because it was made of like old Soviet underpants and you know, <laughs> it turned into fiberglass. And it's just it's a two-stroke, and it's smoky. But if you look again at what they had to work with and the limited abilities they had to actually do anything, it's an amazing vehicle. Um, yeah, so I kind of like that. They even have a Yugo. Uh, someone gave me a Yugo, and I drove it down all the way from New York to where I live now in North Carolina. So I, I, you know, I like Eastern European cars, but I think right now, for cars that are just the most strange and unfamiliar to our eyes, South America is where I keep finding. That's where I want to go. I've been to... I've driven through Chile and Argentina. I want to go to Brazil. Because Brazil, they have so many cars that are almost familiar, but are just twisted in certain ways. Especially for things like uh, Volkswagen had all, like, what Australia was to mammals, uh, Brazil is to Volkswagen. Because it was kind of <laughs> a closed market in the 80s, so they just expanded to fill all these weird nooks. And you get weird, weird partnerships, like... Willys, you know, the old Jeep people, and um, Renault teamed up down there to make some really strange cars. Ford was doing strange things. It's just like this alternate universe of interesting cars down there. And then they had their own brands like Gurgel, which spelled like G-U-R-G-E-L. Those are worth Googling because they're, they look like, you know, background cars from like sci-fi movies, but it was all like air-cooled VW mechanicals underneath it. There was... It's just great. And, and, and these were really cars strange. that people were, were serious about. I mean, we have a tendency oh, yeah. to see the end result uh, and say, whoa, what happened there? But th- this was a serious movement. <laughs> these were re- people's everyday cars. And, you know, they were, these were built by the you know, thousands and millions down there. And, you know, because so many of those markets were closed to imports for so long, especially in Brazil, um, they just had this strange, unique, flourishing auto industry that was like nowhere else in the world. So, yeah, I think that would be my pick right now. I think it's underappreciated globally for interesting cars would be South America and Brazil especially. And I have to say, maybe that 2008 financial collapse may have saved us, at least the big three, on a journey for making crappy-looking cars, i.e. the Pontiac Aztec. <laughs> I think the financial collapse may have saved us from some third world 
disaster. Yeah. It, it basically said, hey, you, engineer, you, this is not really looking nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, all of, every wake-up, the problem, like, any time an uh, auto industry gets complacent, it's trouble. Like, the yeah. American, like, when imports really started to come to America, you know, you had the Beetle was coming in in, like, the 50s and 60s, but by, like, the 70s and 80s, when Japanese cars really started to come in in, in quantity, the main reason they were able to take so much market share is because American cars had it easy for so long, with so little competition, and there was so little incentive to really innovate. So our cars tended to look cool and had great air conditioning, but mechanically, we weren't particularly efficient or doing anything really, you know, that bold. So when... When these new you know, restrictions came in and these new the new competition came in, it really changed things. And that happens over and over again. It's also why I think in some ways the EPA has done an awful lot for uh, automotive development because it's kind of forced the automakers to not be lazy. You've got to work harder, and we're getting more power out of smaller engines now, and cars are more efficient than they've ever been um, because it takes some outside pressure to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the cafe standards, that uh, depending on what side of the fence you're on, some would cringe, but ultimately, yes, it's an, it's that next layer of movement uh, to make what we want. We want MPG, and we want our yeah. torque, and now we've got, I mean, if you look at the EcoBoost just in the last, uh, I think Ford's made over... Five million of those EcoBoost motors oh, yeah. throughout everything. I mean, who would have thought that we're slapping? Hey, that just about every car is getting a little turbocharger, <laughs> you know, and that's you know, that. And it's even practical. Engines, yeah, you know, I mean, the new Corvettes are get like thirty miles a gallon on the highway, which was you'd have to drive like a Dodge Colt in 1980 to get that kind of thing. It's, you know, I say just give me my UBN Puma with 15 cup holders. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. Oh no, <laughs> no, that's a hybrid disaster. You can right have <laughs> Better be careful, uh, Mr. Ubian may be listening out of L.A. Uh, you're in an incredible place right now, Jason. Um, tell us what uh, what's on the bucket list, brother. I know you've mentioned something uh, about having an affinity to go down to South America, and that'll happen for you for sure. But really, what, what's your... What's on your list, man? Are you looking to go to Antarctica to maybe dig up some I would, oh, I would actually <laughs> love to go to Antarctica. I would definitely love to go to Antarctica. Uh, anything, there's so many weird things out there still yet to be driven, and I'd love to drive them all. I want to drive, you know, like one of those gigantic mining trucks. I want to drive, uh, you know, weird tiny hovercraft. I want to, you know, anything I can get my hands on, I want to at least try out. So there's all, these, all of that kind of stuff. As far as, you know, work, I, I love what I'm doing. I can't imagine a job better suited to me right now. So I just want to keep doing it and keep pushing it. Um, you know, I'd like, I like doing more video. Um, you know, any opportunity I can take to go somewhere interesting and drive something weird, uh, I just want to keep doing that as often as I can. Well, right on, brother. I don't know if you remember, but we, uh, <laughs> we sat on a Huffington Post. I don't know if you remember this, about six, seven years ago. Uh, we sat on a Huffington Post panel together, uh, oh, yeah. doing drivers prison driver's license plates or something. I vaguely remember, but uh, yeah, I remember the, doing some panel. What was that about? Like, well, they, they were they were talking about digital. I think it was digital license oh. plates being made yes. by the prison authority, and. Right. Um, you know, I mean, now Were you two it, physically in one room. No, no, no. We did okay. kind of a remote. We did a remote. Did a remote. It was. I uh, remember this. Yeah, yeah this is uh, 
way back when. But uh, I enjoyed the panel, and I, I thought, well, all right, Huffington Post, they're, they're, they're going on the automotive side, and that's all good. But, Jason, I want to thank you, my friend, and I want to remind everybody, get on a jalopnik.com. Please check out Jason Drives and also a great read, Robot Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars, and The Lost Art of Driving. You can find the book on Amazon. Jason, we head over to Southern California often. We're out of the Malibu, Huntington Beach area. I know we're going to run into you. We can't wait. Thank you, brother, for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Right on, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you can't blame a guy. I mean, he's touched upon just about everything and everything. He tried the school teaching thing for a little bit. That didn't work out. But I think it comes full circle. Like, we do things in life that, okay, we put this to rest over here way back when, but somehow that gets sprinkled later. Yep. And you definitely can see sort of that, well, I'll be honest, it's not quite Benny the Hill. He'll probably get upset if I call (laughs) it. But he just has this genuine... Just genuine, natural sense, and he makes you smile. He does. And he does cover some great stuff. So I do remind you guys, get on to jalopnik.com, uh, follow that uh, trade publication, and also uh, Ra- Robot, Take the Wheel, The Road to Autonomous Cars and the Lost Art of Driving, uh, Jason's uh, latest book. And thank you, Susie. What a great show. Always uh, a great show. I love it when we can dive especially the odd and eclectic, but I think yeah. we just, that's how we do it. Yeah. So you listening, we appreciate you, especially our Saturday listeners, our podcast family. You guys are rock stars. And I remind you to get on TV. We do have some travel gigs coming up. We're actually going to do Apex SEMA. Uh, I may, we may do some Facebook live from there. Yeah. Uh, kind of show you, take you on a journey over there. If you've never been a little bit of SEMA, but a lot of Apex, which is the automotive aftermarket parts expo. Uh, I, I think that's a little bit more interesting and in depth about Uh, some of the new part designs and things like that. So there you have it. Another great show. Thank you so much for joining our journey. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug a mechanic. Frank here with Wrench Nation. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week to the Wrench Nation Car Talk Show. But did you guys know I'm not basket weaving? I don't do roofing. I actually own Desert Car Care of Chandler. Boy, and I've got a great team down there. If you've got car repair or maintenance needs, I invite you to stop by my garage over a cup of coffee. Maybe you've got that large estimate and you're not sure where to go. Give me a call, 480-726-6400, Desert Car Care of Chandler. Hey, Gilbert friends, when we talk about car repair, car care, getting all of your stuff done on your car excellence integrity workmanship those are large words well i gotta tell you a little place on cooper and warner in gilbert the car shop you've got to meet chris baldrin the car shop he is absolutely on top of his game he's a certified technician has a certified set of mechanics working for you day in and day out there at the car shop so if you're out in gilbert warner and cooper You've got to visit Chris Baldrin at the car shop. Friendly, knowledgeable, eager to take care of you with no funny business. So reach out to the car shop, 480-855-8000, 480-855-8000. The car shop, Warner off of Cooper.